Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the pre-finals week one preview edition. Oh, there's a whole lot of words there, you know what I mean though. It's a massive week of finals football coming up. As I say, a big hello to my Footyology Podcast co-host, the illustrious, ubiquitous Mr. Rodney Eade. How are you, Rocket? I'm going well, Rob. Not too bad those words uh, flummox me, but anyway, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> well, flummox, that's not a bad word. <laughs> yeah, so looking forward to this weekend's games. It is, it is uh, a great weekend of footy, isn't it? I mean, we talk about preliminary finals uh, weekend used to be called the People's Weekend because, of course, all <laughs> Grand Final Day is full of corporates. But in terms of just interest, uh, uh, both you know on the couch and at the ground, how good is it to have like four big finals over a couple of days, or in this case, three days? Because of course, Thursday night, Friday night, and a big double header on Saturday. It's uh, it's a great few days of footy, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's a culmination of such an even competition. Uh, we were fighting up right till the end about who was going to make the eight, and uh, really, there's no clear favourite for any of the games. Um, uh, now you can make a case for any of the sides to win their particular game, so which makes it for a great weekend. So hopefully the weather holds up. It's uh, supposed to be a bit of uh, bit of rain around, but uh, but look forward to a really good weekend of footy. No, it's a really good point. Uh, well, we've talked about the evenness all year, but I think it's backed up. And look, I'm not an experienced odds watcher, but I was checking the flag prices the other day, and the first five flag fancies, including Carlton, were all paying $10 or less. I'm tipping that probably doesn't happen very often. Um, that not only the evenness amongst the four, but the fact that you know, you've know you got a fifth chance, which is a pretty reasonable chance, really. Yeah, very much so. And, uh, and it, you couldn't see St Kilda, Sydney or GWS winning it, but you wouldn't be surprised that they can win their first weekend um, and they can push the teams the next week or two. So... Uh, yeah, it makes it for a very even competition. And I think injuries will have a place. Uh, that now in the weekend off, it's going to get most sides close to full strength. Um, but uh, as the troops fall down over the next couple of weeks, we'll have a big say and it wins it at the end of the day. All right. Well, we're going to drill down in uh, glorious detail on every one of those four finals. And we're going to do that very shortly. But before we do... Uh, some important news floating around. Let's discuss that. On Footyology News Feed. Well, let's start with some uh, tribunal news or match review officer news or appeals board news because this one is dragging on and on. And that, to me, is a bit of a story in itself. We're talking about GWS's Toby Bedford. Uh, who was suspended for one match for um, an incident with Carlton's Zach Fisher in that last home and away game uh, on Monday, suspended for one game after the MRO found uh, careless conduct, medium impact and high contact, which equates to a one-game suspension. Um, the Giants took that to the tribunal uh, where they lost and pretty disappointed about that, obviously, because they've now decided to appeal. Now, that appeal, we're recording this Wednesday morning, that appeal uh, will be heard on Thursday afternoon, which oh, I don't know about you, Rocket, but I, th- I think I mentioned this when it happened. There's something a bit ordinary. Uh, oh, really? 
Yeah, that's more than ordinary. I mean, this is yeah. going to final series. Well, well, hang on. Just just before you go, let's what, clarify the parameters here. So it happened on Sunday, the 27th of August. It will finally be resolved 11 days later. That's not good enough, is it? Oh, no, no. No, that's totally disgraceful, especially going to a final series. And we've given them the buyer so everyone can be right physically as well as mentally. But David Bedford, if he gets off, he would be stressed. He'd be losing some sleep. His whole preparation uh, is, is thrown up in the air. So it's not fair on him. It's not fair on GWS. They should have had this last week. Now they had their awards night last Monday night. We'll have the tribunal on the Tuesday. And if they want to appear which on the Friday, it's all over by the weekend. It gives them a week to prepare. This is still up in the end. It's not fair for GWS. It's totally, it's, uh, yeah, it, it is totally wrong. I suppose the, the one that I'll have close enough to is the Andrew Duncan one in the 96 grand final. Yeah. Um, well, just to remind people the circumstances of yeah, that. Yeah, he, he collected judge, but nobody saw it wasn't on video. And uh, video miraculously occurred at uh, AFL House um, on the Monday or Tuesday morning, um, which is, that, that, I mean, that's a separate issue. But uh, the point is, it wasn't resolved. Uh, he appealed, went to, took a court injunction because it was only a week. Uh, so that's all the Thursday, but he didn't sleep most of the week. So his preparation was thrown up, which is what the Swans chose to do, or we chose to do. Um, but the my point there is, with Toby Bedford, this could have been uh, actually rectified by having it last week. They had two weeks to do this, and it's just not fair on the young lad going into a final series. That's it. Uh, just on Dunkley, uh, it's interesting you say video emerged. I thought there was some telltale evidence there when James Heard won the Brownlow medal and got up and accepted it with a massive shine <laughs> over his eye. Yeah. It, it wasn't exactly secret new evidence, was it, that Dunkley had clocked him on the eye. But uh, in terms of the process, absolutely fair enough. Is it? Oh, The other element to this too is, and it, yeah, it's a bit of a conspiracy theory, but I reckon Bedford was pretty stiff to get the one match in, in the first place, do you? Oh, I 100% agree, because it wasn't a bump. For me, it was it was a block, and I think Nathan Buckley articulated it pretty well, that you, you know, you're taught from a young age, you handle the ball, then you move across and you block the chase's path, and that's all he did. Um, Fisher went down, um, he was okay, it was fine, he didn't hit him with the shoulder, he hit him with the, you know, the back, and he, he hit him with his shoulder blade, really, around his back, so... Um, and Tony Bedford's not an aggressive player. Now that's not a knock on him. That's just the way he plays. He's slight, slight player. He's a very good runner. Um, yeah, I, I was very surprised he got one week and uh, very surprised uh, uh, that he wouldn't be playing. So, you know, they have to go to appeals because I would think in the fairness, I, th- I think it's just a footy action and that's all. Uh, I don't think it was careless um, and that's where the grading should be put down, to be honest. I'd go so far as to say, and I stress this isn't a conscious thing. I think it's a subconscious thing. But I, I do believe this. I reckon if it wasn't Toby Bedford but uh, Stephen Cornelio or someone like that, he doesn't get a week. And I also reckon if it's Stephen Cornelio and he does get a week, that tribunal he- hearing happens a lot sooner than last Monday night. I just think there's a... You know, whenever someone's been made an example of in disciplinary terms, it always just happens to be a lesser light where the outrage is going to be a lot less than were at a star of the competition. And um, I, I think those things operate at a subconscious level. So we can follow that up on a, a psychological uh, psychological podcast. But 
Um, I reckon it happens. I, I do think there are different yeah. sort of rules for different players. And I think, yeah, I think the lack of outrage backs your point that the media really haven't uh, jumped on it too much. Um, but also, they haven't made mention that it's been 11 days. Now, they might mention in passing, but it's not. If it had been Canelio or Toby Green or whoever it was or the other other way around, it had been um, Jack Steele or someone from St Kilda or Gordon from the Swans. Now, that would actually be a big deal or Rosie. I mean, it would be something, it would be headlined continuously, but it sort of uh, got lost in the ether a bit. And, and that's a really important point too, I think. You know, I, I was thinking the other day, even like 10 years ago, the fact that there'd been this long a delay, that would have been a big story. These days, it's sort of not what the caravan moves on in the whirl of activity. And, you know, we're talking about trade rumours and that sort of stuff already with the finals on. There's no time for anything to sort of gather that momentum to become a big story. So, yeah, um, yeah look, it's uh, it, it's less than ideal. And, look, we will have uh, another little chat about what's going on at the AFL in a second. But firstly, uh, the rumour... So it won't go away about Richmond champion Dustin Martin potentially joining his old coach, Damien Hardwick, up on the Gold Coast. Now, he's got a year to go on his contract. Uh, I don't think, yeah, I mean, look, it, it seems incredibly unlikely, but it just keeps coming up. And it's, I wonder, is, is it a case of, you know, people getting two and two to equal four rather than, you know, two plus seven equals fifty-eight, or you know, it just—it it doesn't. It's like too convenient, and he's too good a player, surely, for Richmond to be party to that. What would they gain from it with a year to go on his contract? No, that's right. Um, but as you said, it's interesting in this game uh, that once I start rooms like this, it ends up tends to be comes to fruition. Uh, and it comes from different sources. So whether that's the Martin camp feeding that out, uh, that it's where he wants to go, or Richmond, uh, well, actually, yes. But, I mean, if you're going to trade it, I know we would think Rich would too for their supporters, and I think they'd be a little bit little bit upset still with Hardwick in many ways. Um, that would they do that? Uh, it'd have to be a good deal, but would the Suns give a good deal for a 33-year-old? Don't know whether that's whether that's in their best interest. Are they pick four hangs around? Do they give Richmond pick four puzzles and things back, and that gets them back in the draft to help their rebuild? I don't know. So, uh, but they're not going to give him up for a, a third round pick, which is what you normally get for a thirty three year old who might have one or two years left. So, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I, I think reading between the lines that Mark wants to go, mm. uh, whether he gets there and he's playing the is. He's, he's the managerial camper playing the game to try and softly, softly tread around there, tread around the edges and get to the get to the call later on. What about from a, a Gold Coast perspective? Because I, I don't think it makes, just in terms of their list, I don't think it makes much sense even from that perspective because I reckon, okay, he's a fantastic player. I'm not suggesting for a moment you wouldn't considerably add to their stocks. But it's sort of like a, a regressive move. It's back to the Gary Ablett thing. And we've got training wheels on and we need a champion from somewhere else to help us out. I mean, this is a playing list. Damien Harbick said 80% of our next premiership side is already on this list. They've got a VFL side that's 
flying. You know, they've clearly got great, you know, a, a decent raft of great young talent coming through. They weren't that far away this season. I don't like what it says. It, to me, it just shouts out, we still need help. And I think they should be saying, we're going to do this on our own. Yeah, I think the counter-argument to that is what Brisbane did with Luke Hodge. So you get a senior player in, then they've got Birchall. So, uh, is, Martin, is Martin a Birchall? Oh, no, that's okay. The counter to that, he's, he's probably not a leader in the way that yeah. as a director and bringing players on, he's brought in for that purpose. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I look, if I'm the Gold Coast, now, you would take it if it was there. Like, it's going to cost some money. I think they've got some salary cap issues, and they're, they're, they're rectifying that. Obviously, Jack Bowe's going, and they'll probably do the same to get it back to equilibrium. But there'll be salary cap with that. But you wouldn't want to give up a farm either. So there's that balance of, now, you'd certainly take it, but you're not going to give up a lot to be able to take it because, as, as you said, the list is in a good spot, um, and she wants to take off. He, he will add to that. But you've got to give up pick four or and there's some things back with that. No, you certainly wouldn't do that. It's another uh, wacky element to this story which emerged, uh, I think it was Channel 7's new finals footy show, but they were talking to uh, Richmond skipper or retired Richmond skipper Trent Cotchin about uh, former Tiger Alex Rance, who's uh, been up on the Gold Coast, potentially being part of this. Alex Rance, who... Hasn't played since 2019, and in fact, in 2019, he played the one game, so effectively hasn't played AFL footy for five seasons, and who turns 34 in October, and it was a it was a serious discussion. But like, what? Am I going mad, Rocket? That's surely no. I think that should be seriously discounted. No, <laughs> and really, but uh, no, unless he's going up as part of the coaching group as an add-on and and assist the defence or whatever. But certainly from a play, I know he keeps himself. Reese was fit, but I mean, it's a long way from playing AFL footy. He hasn't played for five years. He started to get some soft tissue anyway. He was a fantastic player, but as you said, he played that one game in nineteen. Uh, in, in so now I uh, now think that it'd be seriously considered. I was just thinking you might be a fan of that because it would um, it would mitigate the possibility of you coming back next year to play that tagging role for Hawthorne you've been seeing out for. <laughs> Uh, they're going well, but they don't need an old, an old, an old player. I don't need Shane Crawford or someone like that. They'd be right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, we'll wait and see what happens with that one. But um, you'd think, surely, uh, Richmond don't let Dustin Martin go, even in PR terms. Speaking of PR, I reckon the AFL's PR has been that great lately and uh, took another hit this week with the news that Wee Matthews, who was sounded out about the potential to fill a vacant AFL commission spot, got sick of waiting for the follow-up phone call six months later and has basically pulled the pin on the idea. So the AFL commission, which has uh, been too short for a couple of years now, has a chronic lack of football expertise, had the opportunity of uh, getting involved, not only arguably the greatest player ever and certainly one of the greatest coaches, but one of the greatest thinkers in AFL footy, Wee Matthews, perfect fodder for the AFL commission. Rocket, I'm getting angry thinking about it because what are these guys doing? They've sounded Lee out. He's expressed his interest. This is back in April, and they literally haven't fired it up. So he's now quite rightfully, I reckon, gone, well, stuffy, you can't be that interested. Uh, let's name names here. Hasn't had a great week for Richard Goida, 
the chairman of Qantas. And uh, are things going well there with Alan Joyce uh, having finally departed, much to a whole nation's uh, collective cheers? Uh, but Richard Gorder, also chair of the AFL Commission, which can't be bothered ringing Lee Matthews back to find out if he wants to be on the commission. What's going on there, Rocket? And it's crazy. And it's, uh, it beggars belief, doesn't it? That they've it got does. no football, uh, to see a football acumen on the, on the, on the commission. That's been absent for 12 months. Um, someone for commission funds, Lee, six or seven months ago, uh, gauges his interest. He said, I'd like to have a chat. And there's no phone call since. And there's still vacancies on the, on the commission. So really, um, I don't know whose responsibility, but I would have thought it'd be Richard Goyer's responsibility to look for commissioners as much as anybody else. And for, for pass on Lee Matthews, it's just, I mean, it's a golden egg. It's a golden ticket having, as you said, a great ticket. He's not an emotional person to take sides. He's all for the better with the game. He's heard by his comments when he was on radio or in print or on TV. So I just think it's, a, it's an opportunity missed and it's not a great rule. Absolutely, and and just on him as a thinker, I mean, you know, the number of times as a journo over the years, I'd, I'd sort of put together some carefully crafted theory, and he'd ring up Lee for a comment on it or validation, I guess, and he'd just shoot it down with a bit of cold hard logic. But he's really good like that, and he's also shown in that commentary space that he's often a uh, happy to go against popular opinion. Uh, and B, some of his views uh, aren't necessarily old-school footy views either. He's, I no. think he's got some quite contemporary views on things. Oh, very, no, very much. I think he's not so much outside of the square, but he, he's quite a forward thinker. Mm. He can see some unintended consequences of some decisions and looks ahead, and he's uh, he's very pragmatic, he, he, as I said. He'll, and, and the fact he's prepared to listen to arguments, well, I think he would have been a perfect fit. Uh, for the commission, more than perfect, I would have said he would be absolutely number one contender. So, anyway, I think that's Lee's way of saying, "Well, no, you're not going to find me back. I'm just not interested anymore." Which is not a, a great way to ask the age on. No, it's terrible. And uh, look, in terms of how they do fill that space, and a couple of other names that well, we we saw the thing about Paddy Dangerfield being caught and about it whilst he's still playing, which was a bit different. I think it's fair to say Matthew Pavlich's names come up. Uh, Andrew Island, um, former Sydney and Brisbane uh, footy boss, his name's come up. Um, you know, all those guys would be excellent, I'm sure, but uh, probably want to fill it with someone. I mean, it took him a year to fill the footy ops role, which, uh, and Laura Kane, incidentally, appointed full time to that role not long after we recorded this last week. So, um, congratulations to Laura, and she has uh, very impressive credentials having. Worked in women's football in North Melbourne and then at the AFL. I'm sure she'll do a great job. But uh, like you say, Rocket, uh, it has been a great year in PR terms for the AFL, has it? Uh, just those little things. And uh, even I uh, heard Mike Sheen on radio the other day talking about Brendan Gale. Um, that there, that uh, I think his words were they just have the ability every now and then to shoot themselves on the foot. Uh, with some, now, they do most things probably right. But just the little things are out there. Just in this case, it's probably a big appointment. Um, just probably don't follow through the right way. You interested if they give you a call? No, not at all. <laughs> no. You're too busy, Rocket, doing the Footyology podcast. That's the one. Yeah, that's my priority. <laughs> yeah, as it should be. 
All right, speaking priorities, uh, four massive finals coming up this weekend. Let's preview them. On Footyology, previews with Punch. The 2023 AFL Final Series kicks off Thursday evening at the MCG with, we have this fun every year, Rocket. I think this one, no, I'm almost certain this one is called the first qualifying final between Collingwood and Melbourne. 7.20 is game time. The Pies finished on top of the ladder, 18-5, and five, uh, demolished Essendon by 70 points in their last outing. Melbourne finished fourth, 16-7. and seven. They too had a win over the Swans by 21 points in that last game. And the Demons have won seven of their last eight. Head-to-head, well, the Pies have won seven of the last nine, but Melbourne won the only meeting this year, which was, of course, the King's Birthday Clash. And that was a bit of a... An epic, the D's prevailing by four points. Uh, the venue, uh, home ground for both of them. The Pies love the G. They have won 24 out of 30 games on the MCG since the start of 2022. Melbourne, not quite as strong there, but handy. They have won 19 out of 27 games since the start of last year. So much anticipation about this game. It's going to be a full house. Uh, initial thoughts on this one, Rocket. Uh, initial thoughts. Um, I think with some players coming, obviously Darcy Moore's a big inclusion for for Collingwood. It's going to stiffen them up uh, enormously. It's really going to be uh, teams that def- depend on their defenders to win the game. So more for me for Collingwood and Libra May for, uh, for Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne have got the best profile from the defence in the competition, the number one. In, in most of the areas, and they're fantastic. Then ball movers on the scrape. Um, they don't get scores for inside 50, which says either, either the way the ball's coming in or the talent they've got inside 50. Jake Melksham will be a bit of a loss, I think, because he was he was one that could have gone to more, um, and, and he's played that role exceptionally well. Uh, now, the midfield, it's, you know, it's quite surprising that the contested ball for Collingwood's not as high as I thought it would be. They don't win as much ball. They're mid-table where Melbourne, Melbourne and Carlton are the two best in the competition at that. So that's going to be a strength for it, especially with Oliver back now. That allows Petrarca at times to go forward to alleviate their forward line. So um, now I think it'll be an interesting game. Just on that, uh, it's interesting with the Pies because they're, they're not necessarily elite at anything, I think, other than ball movement, which is so it's an unusual profile for an aspiring finalists, but they're solid enough in everything. It's like uh, defensively, I think they're ranked third, offensively fourth. You know, they're just strong enough in most areas. Ball movement's their big thing, and and that comes up against Melbourne's renowned sort of clearance and contested ball strength. Yeah, and it's interesting, the, the, you know, the one defensive area that they're not great in Collingwood is the opposition scores once they go inside 50. They're 14th in the competition. So once they get it, oppositions get it in there. So they defend really really heavily between the arc. That's where they get their turnovers, probably the defensive mid area, and then they score on turnover. But Melbourne are one of the slowest teams as far as moving the ball forward. I mean, they're, they're just, they're just, scores for inside 50, I said, they were 14th. Going from defensive 50 to inside 50, so taking to the length of the ground, they're 14th in the competition as well. So they're a slow ball-moving team, which will suit Collingwood. So if you can get the ball inside, they've got to get the ball inside 50 and they can expose Conor West. Obviously, Darcy Moore's the key there. So it'll be two contrasting styles. 
mm. really. And it'll be one heavily on defence and contest, and the other one really on trying to get turnovers through pressure and be able to score on turnover. Without making this too big picture, I wonder if it's almost a clash between what has been traditional markers of footy success, contestable clearance, which Melbourne are great at, versus this thing about quick ball movement and rebound off half-back, which Collingwood do well, which to me is sort of more the way the game's going away from those traditional measures. Do you see what I'm getting at there? Yeah, I do. I I think with Melbourne, is they, their defensive system's so strong. Um, it's just not playing a defensive game. Sometimes uh, teams just want to defend, and they'll camp in the back half and just get numbers back, where I think Melbourne's rely on their system and try and get on turnover, but they don't transfer the ball as well as the top to, as the other top teams in the competition. So, um, But where they are really good is when they turn it over, they defend turnover really well. Mm. They're the best at that. So they're right in the position at the right time. So if they if they do turn it over in their forward line, their players actually defend it in there. So they keep their wits really well. Their wingers play a really good role. They've just got to get their forward uh, connection right. And if they can do that, they can expose Collingwood. Well, personnel obviously is huge in, in this game. You mentioned defence. Well, Collingwood gets two crucial defenders back in Darcy Moore and Nathan Murphy. The other selection issue, they've got to um, deal with is Bo McCreary available again after a one-game suspension. Now, does he come in? And if he comes in, is it the expense of someone like Jack Ginnivan, who was pretty good value in that last game against Essendon? Um, personally, I would have thought, you want them both in and someone else makes way. Just quickly, your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think one of them will be sub. Um, I reckon they'll play both the big guys and then maybe gives them the option if there's no injury or, con- or, or concussion early that one of those guys come on halfway through the third or late in the third to give them a bit of bite. Um, so I think they'll both play. So where the mark-off goes, um, uh, you know, it's probably the probably the player that goes. But I think I think both of them will play, but one of the players is sub. And Melbourne, obviously, massive blow there with the loss of Jake Milksham in that last home and away game. And not for the first time, they're having to sort of concoct a uh, winning forward combination. Uh, The thing is, I saw some interesting numbers about them the other day, though. They they have shared the goal-kicking load around pretty well. Um, They don't sort of load all their eggs in the one basket because Bailey Fritch, of course, has only just come back from injury. So... I mean, if Fritch was still out and they lose Melchon, then they're in huge trouble. Uh, their selection issue will be who replaces Melchon. Do they go for a key position type like a Tom McDonald? Do they roll a dice again on Brady Grundy? Uh, Grundy, you'd think not because that didn't work out too well. Um, do they bring back Michael Hibbert as a defender and send Joel Smith forward because he bobbed up and kicked a few for him in a game? So several options there. If you're... Simon Goodwin, what do you want to do there? Um, certainly Joel Smith's plays. He's the perfect sub, isn't he? You know, but he's tough as well, but he's good in the air, can play back and forward, but maybe gives him an option forward. I probably, both teams will be looking at how they can stop the intercept marking. Mm. And is a Tom McDonald good enough and fit enough to go with Darcy Moore? So the Melchard role that he's played so well, like Tom Stewart and a few others, he's done exceptionally well. I, I would... Whether Tom McDonald's the right person, I don't know. Tom's played well enough. He certainly hasn't got the agility of a Darcy Moore, but he's got good fitness. Can he just 
sacrifice himself just to go to Dart. He just kept Darcy Moore just to spoil him. And the other end of the ground, I think Jeremy Howe might play forward and play either on the lever or lay and um, and do the same sort of way. He's got the ability to kick a goal. So it'd be interesting on that sort of uh, tactics as well. Well, wouldn't that be an incredible scenario where in a final, we, you know, like 20, 30 years ago, we talked about the importance of key forwards in finals. And we almost come full circle. We'd be prepared to play two key forwards as defensive measures on a key defender of the opposition. And I think, it, yeah, it is. But I think both of those that those three players are so important to their team. And teams that have taken the leader out and his intercept marking so with that, but also Darcy Moore. I mean, he's their springboard. He, you know, he not only... And, and at times, there's some dollars kicked on him because he tries to do too much uh, to cover for his teammates or support his teammates. Um, and that's when Belver got to be creative with their bullies. Well, we prepared to use the angles could Darcy Moore leave his opponent run 60 or 40, 50 metres to actually make a two-on-one or try and intercept. So uh, if they can negate his ability to intercept as well, the other end. Um, and that's a bit like the tagging rather I'm talking about. You don't have to have, have one tag. You can tag a midfielder. You can tag a, a high defender like the Adam Sard who just gets a runoff. You stop that or you stop an interceptor as well. So one and Tom Stewart, if you can take him out, it really does help the opponent. It really does help him win. All right, well, let's nail our colours to the mast. I've ummed and ahed about this one so many times. I've also got a theory, Rocket. Five times since the current final eight came in, we've seen a qualifying final repeated in the grand final. I reckon we might see it again. I reckon whoever loses this is good enough to win a semi and then go into state and win a preliminary for another crack at this opponent. That's how good I reckon these two are. I'm going for, in the end, I'm going for the Pies, and basically only because they were on top most of the year. Melbourne was a little more up and down at stages. I'm going for Collingwood, but by the narrowest margin I can, given that I have to tip even margins. Collingwood by two points. What are you going with? I'm going the Demons. I took their win. Uh, Queen's birthday was great, and Nick Dacos was playing as well. They didn't tag Nick Dacos. Uh, he'll be he'll be a loss for them. Um, the profile, you look at the numbers. Well, I'm not a, an exceptional numbers man compared to a lot of uh, coaches or ex-coaches, but their profile really are consistent. Except just getting the ball inside 15, scoring. So that's going to be the thing. But uh, now there's a bit of rain around that. I said they contested ball. Uh, they're they're excellent. Lap their midfield uh, is very strong. And we haven't mentioned as well Max Gore is is can be a difference. Like he's a, he's a star. That's why I reckon. Cox and Cameron will both play initially, try and wear him down and then leave one on in the, from the, now for the last quarter or a bit. Uh, but Melbourne, for me, by seven points. Seven points. There you go. Well, we're both expecting it to be close, if nothing else. Back to the MCG, Friday evening, 7.50pm for the first elimination final between Carlton and Sydney. The Blues finished fifth. Uh... That winning run of nine in a row interrupted by GWS in that last round, but the Blues didn't have a lot to play for. Sydney finished eighth. Incredible revival by them. They were 15th on the ladder as late as, I think it was round 17. Quite remarkable. Uh, Lost their last game also to Melbourne by 21 points. Head-to-head, Sydney have won six of the last 10 between these two, and they did beat Carlton in round 11 by 26 points. However... That was at the SCG, and it was when Carlton were playing a lot worse than they have been in the back half of the season. They've only played the MCG once 
2017 since they met in the final there in 1986 qualifying final that long back so they don't play at the G often these two how do they go at the G Carlton won five lost three and drawn one Sydney uh, this is telling I reckon Rocket they've played at the G three times this year and lost them all to Melbourne Collingwood Richmond and of course the time before that just happened to be that grand final belting at the hands of Geelong last year what are you thinking here uh, well, I'm thinking the form of Carlton is uh, is very impressive going forward, even though they lost their last home and away game. They, um, there's their style of play, they're, they've got one down, so they don't score on turnover, so they're not a fast transition site. But finals footy generally is, is pressure in contest, and they've got that uh, very well secured. Uh, they're number one contested ball team in the competition. Scoring from clearances, ground ball differential. I mean, in and around their midfield is just really strong and tough. Um, weather, I think, will play a part. Uh, if it was dry, um, it gives Swan some chance, in my mind. But it's a little bit damp, so the ball is going to be uh, in packs formation. Uh, no clean ball, not as clean as you'd like ball handling. I think that'll suit Carlton. They're, um, their contested ball is fantastic. They, as I said, they struggle um, on the transition. They'll, they'll probably get a tagger on Goulden. I, I would sit on him. He's their he's their barometer. He's he stepped up to be a star of the competition, and his ball use is fantastic. Um, what Sydney have got to do is they've got to at least what the buffers are. now they won't break even contested ball, but they can't get beaten by twenty. Uh, if they can be within half a dozen or eight of contested ball. Uh, now we'll give them some sort of chance. Okay, so just on that, are Sydney not a good contested team or are they okay and just Carlton is excellent? Uh, no, both. Uh, Sydney aren't great and yeah. and Carlton are actually. And uh, Sydney are 15th per scores against from stoppages. Mm. So opposition score with stoppages against so from stoppages. So they're poor like that. They're 14th for contested. Possession differential in the competition. Carl, I won't first. I mean, we, we, it's such a reliable Sydney trademark contest, uh, strong contest, strong clearance stuff. Why do you reckon John Longmire's sort of allowed it to slip to those levels? Well, I don't think it's a conscious thing. I think with the play, I think he, in my mind, you look back last year, they probably overachieved and we said that, but how good the youngsters were in the start of the year before. Mm. The Ray Bottoms, McInerney's, uh, Florent have been there a year or two. So that Warner, yeah. So they had a lot of players who weren't big body players. Mm. So I think he was playing to their strengths, not thinking that they'd get your grand final last year. And I think it's just evolved that way. Goulden as well. He's he's not an outside player, but he's not a a, a big strong player like Cripps. So I think it's it's gone that way. But they'll need to address that for this. And I would. Certainly think inside the four walls they'd be talking about that and probably do it a bit of focus on the training that they need to, how they can minimise the opposition's clearances, even if they can break it. If they break even, they'll win. But they need to be able to stop that takeaway from Cripps and Kennedy and Walsh and Cherer and these guys. who and Now, they've got a very good setup with their clearances. So if they can, I, I would think they'd set up for a loss, but to... to but to make a bit of a fight and get it out of that, what we call the inner bubble, soccer it out, get it out out of the space to give themselves the best chance. 
Well, let's talk about personnel. So uh, Carlton regains uh, both Patrick Cripps and Sam Doherty, who were basically rested for that last home and away game. Jesse Motlop, who I think is a fairly important part of this Carlton equation in terms of forward pressure. Uh, he missed that last game with illness. He'll be available. Surely he gets picked. I mean, they, they've got plenty to choose from there, though, with Owies and Durden as well. Uh, Blake Akers, collarbone injury. Um, he has a fitness test looming, but they're pretty hopeful he is going to come up okay. As for Sydney, uh, the big question mark there, and again, I feel a bit the same way with this guy as I do uh, with Motlock. Although, no, bigger figure to Sydney, Justin McInerney. I love him as a player. I think they're always a better side when he's not only in the side but playing well. So he's had a calf issue since round 20. So uh, fingers crossed on him. Uh, if he does come back, Dylan Stevens probably the guy most likely to miss. And uh, Tom Papley, of course, the other uh, crucial in for the Swans, recovered from a hamstring and will be available probably at the expense of Ryan Clark. So McInerney and Papley be two pretty major ends to the Swans rocket. Yeah, they will be. You know, Papley is uh, a bit of the energizer, isn't he? He's sort of um, up and about. And, the annoying and, the annoying energizer. <laughs> yeah. Why why is it that small forwards are always so annoying? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've probably been downtrodden my whole lives in this instance. <laughs> small man complex. <laughs> so it's a way to fighting back. Um uh, yeah, uh, he's, he'll be certainly a good in. I think the the thing is they now they do defend work. They defend in the back fifty, so they're they're third of the competition for scores from the opposition from their inside fifty. So they're able to defend that, and they defend that pretty well. So they don't turn the ball over so much in their forward fifty. Uh, so they can defend that, and uh, but they need to get some drive from there and get it out of there. So the thing is going to be Kerno could be the difference. I mean, he's he's a super player. His ability to not only from the goal square, but to get up outside 50 and then set goals up for his 16-metre bullet parcels will look like kicks. So he, who plays on him? Do they double-team him? Um, that'll be interesting for John, how he works that through as well. But uh, overall, I, I just think the way the weather is and the finals footy, I think Carlton can win this uh, through their contested ball as long as their pressure's up during the game. Just on Kerno. I mean, it's it's just worked out this way. I mean, he he's gone up another level since Mackay wasn't there, and Kerno's definitely had more space now. Mackay's come back. We've only sort of seen a little glimpse of it. Well, how would you be using Mackay? Um, well, I think it is shown. I don't know. I don't know where the gentleman. So, whether subconscious they're trying to work together, and um, no, uh, not not approach as such. I. I think it's come obvious that Kerno's the number one and Mackay needs to accept that he is number two and at times maybe he sacrifices himself, uh, gets to the other side of the ground. But I would play him up high. He's a good athlete. He's the outlet kick. He's what we call a link maybe. He's the link from the back the, from the back 50. So get up on the wing, get up. He's a nice long kick. He's not an accurate kick when he has a shot for goal, as we know. And that then gives Kerno space. But his ability, like... Uh, Cameron to do Jeremy Cameron play that sort of role then be able to get back inside 50 so he's running towards goal and cutting across rather than leading from the goal split oh you know almost longer term I almost wonder if he ends up sort of trying to become a, a ruckman 
because as you say, I mean, he's a he's a monster of a man. If you st- you stand next to him, you realise how big he is. But uh, yeah, as you say, he's pretty athletic for that size. I just well, I wonder if you, someone like that could turn into a ruckman. Yeah. Um, I think you either are or you're not. And I yeah. he's in, in many ways the ruckman, the ruck role is one of the hardest roles because you got that front on contact, but then it's one of the easiest roles because you run around the ground with no one on you. So, <laughs> so it's a combination of both. So, um, whether someone can take the center square bounce and he can play as a ruck or he does it intermittently in the center square bounce to give a backup and probably his go, but he is athletic. I, I'd certainly play him higher up the ground. I don't know why. Whenever a, a Hawthorne guy of your vintage talks about Rucker, I always immediately think of Ian Payton for some reason. But <laughs> the, the, the general, uh, the general did very well for his limited ability. He was, but he was a great competitor. He was, he was a great competitor by the couple of flags. And I'm, I'm glad you said limited ability, and not me. At least you're a teammate. You played in a couple more flags than I ever did. All right, let's tip. Uh, I'm pretty. Look, I really respect Sydney. Um, they look gone for all money. So even to be able to get to the finals from where they were has been a good effort. But it's been a pretty up and down season. Um, and I think Carlton really has gone to a new level in the back half of the season. So Carlton gets it done. Oh, not overly comfortably, but I'm going for Carlton in this one by 22 points. What about you? Uh, Carlton by 15. Carlton by 15. All right. All right, let's talk, keep talking elimination finals. The second elimination final and the third game of the first weekend of finals at the MCG is St Kilda up against GWS. It's Saturday afternoon at 3.20. The Saints finished six on the ladder, 13 and 10, lost their last game to Brisbane, 12 points at the Gabba. Won four of their last six, though, and GWS seventh with a 13-10 record, and they, of course, won their last uh, game against Carlton by 32 points to ensure their September participation. In fact, the Giants won nine of their last 11 games. Head-to-head, the Saints have won the last four. They met in round 10, and St Kilda won that one at Giants Stadium by 12 points. Uh, These two have never played each other at the MCG, not surprisingly. and this is a factor, uh, Rocket, I reckon, the venue, because neither of them play there much. So St Kilda this year played there twice and a 1-1. They beat Essendon and lost to Richmond. Uh, GWS haven't been great at the MCG either. They've lost their last four games there, and the only time they've played there this year was their biggest defeat of the season by 65 points to Collingwood in round nine. So your initial impressions on this one? Uh, yeah. I think you can make an argument it'd be really, really even that the, the profile doesn't indicate either way except St Kilda are poor at offence, it says. Um, now, with with memory back and Hing back, that's going to improve them. You know, you know, they've been better at that the last uh, few weeks, but their ball movement is interesting too. They're number one in the competition taken from defensive 50 to inside 50, but they really do play outside. Oh, well, I was just going to say there, I was having a look at this. So St Kilda are first for defence. They're fewest points conceded in the competition. They're 15th for points scored. I can't remember seeing that big a disparity between a side that's ranked number one and their other ranking. And and no premiership team has won with a uh, the lowest 
points for ranking was Sydney 14 in 2005. Uh, the Bulldogs were 12th, I think, in 2016. Everyone else has been no worse than about 6th or 7th. Yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting. But the way they move the ball, is, it's just, so it's got to be the connection inside 50 or how they bring it in because, as I said, from defensive 50 to inside 50, when they take it out of their back half, they're number one in the competition for getting it there. But their number, they're 17th in the competition for corridor use outside the defensive 50. They come out of deep. So they go boundary, which you know by the play. So when they played Brisbane earlier in the year, and Port did as well. Port went one-on-one with them, didn't allow them any outlets. And Brisbane played a very slow game and just played a keep-mark game the whole way and then set up and didn't allow uh, St Kilda to get out of the out of the back 50 as well. So it'll be interesting to see what GWS... GWS generally, uh, their game's built on pressure and, and pressure between the arcs and score on turnover. So when the St Kilda are a bit more confident, they'll have a bit more connection because of who they're kicking to because they've had their key forwards out. So that profile of moving the ball quickly from defensive 50 to inside 50, they can keep that up and do it with speed is what they've got. They've got some talent inside their forward 50, so they may they may skew those figures a bit in this game by being able to do that. So this is a fascinating discussion, isn't it? Because as, from a coaching perspective, and I'll get your thoughts on this, you almost you make a decision, don't you? Do we uh, tackle St Kilda's great strength? But by doing that, because of the way they play, you virtually have to sacrifice your own offensive capabilities and then it becomes a, a nil-all, boring slugfest. Or do you allow them to have their strength and think that your strengths, which are probably more attacking, is going to prevail at the end of the day? I would think that GWS will play their way and back on uh, putting pressure on and causing turnover because you could have skills at time can can let them down. Yeah. Um, maybe making a little allowance that the wingers will play a real vital role and as long as they're disciplined enough, ball goes inside, GWS is forward 50, that they keep their width because they know the ball's coming out around the boundary. It's not coming out down the middle. Yeah. So even the midfielders can actually have a bit, the ball's gone inside 50, rather than resting or sitting in the middle of the ground, can actually make a beeline a bit, maybe 10, 15, 20 metres a bit more towards a boundary. So that's going to stop their ball movement. So I, I think it'll just be a little tweak from GWS and just be mindful of what St Kilda do. Um, but even, even stoppages, St Kilda aren't great at stoppages, uh, which which GWS aren't too bad at. G, GWS's profile, except for their pressure and their scores from turnover, which are linked together, they're all middle of the road. They're all ninth and tenth in the competition, about where they finished on the ladder. Where St Kilda is stark. I mean, it's defensively, it's the top of the tree. Offensively, it's the bottom of the tree. So there's, you know, there's no in between with them. So it'll be whether they can. I think what St Kilda do though, that they stay in the game. They're hard to play against. They're hard to score against. So therefore, they can be two or three goals down, playing terrible footy and not looking, and all of a sudden something will break open and then they'll score a couple of goals quickly. Well, just on that, uh, that's another really interesting um, juxtaposition here because they're both like this. So uh, they each lost 10 games. Um, GWS only lost two by more than 21 points. And St Kilda, um, I think their their record's even better. They're, they've only lost one game by more than 28 points. So, you know, they both tend to absorb 
scoreboard pressure pretty well or not allow that much scoreboard pressure. And I think both sides, uh, which is furthering what your point is, that that they've got strong character. They hang in there. Now, they don't um, they get four or five goals down or whatever the case may be. Some teams just actually capitulate um, or drop away completely. Their effort drops away and uh, the lack of, you know, their pressure drops away. But both those teams don't. So if either of them get a bit of a start on the other, you know, you couldn't count the other team out. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I think St Kilda's biggest issue is going to be uh, not having as many turnovers. So I think they'll still play the boundary heavily. They won't want to turn the ball over knowing what GWS can do on the turnover. Hogan for the last few weeks has been a better target for them. So that gives them a bit more of a chance on Riccardi. So I think GWS inside, I like hopefully he plays. Bedford has been really good for them as, as Daniels is as well. There's two little players who get up the ground. They're, now their work rate's enormous. Their ability to get up the ground and help defend and then get back the other way is fantastic. So, um, yeah, it'll be an interesting game. I, now, there's two completely different styles of the game, as you said, uh, with, you know, with Collingwood and Melbourne. Uh, it'll be interesting to see which one comes on top. Yeah, you mentioned Daniels. I think he's crucial to GWS as well. He, he's he's had a fantastic season after not literally not playing a game last year with hamstring issues. Uh, been a, a, he's been a huge part of what they've achieved this year. Let's quickly just talk personnel. So Max King returns to St Kilda. He was managed last week. Uh, the if for them at selection is uh, Dougal Howard, who hasn't played since round 19 with a fractured wrist, but he's been cleared to play. Josh Battle available as well. So uh, decision there, I think. Who do you go with? Do you bring back Howard or stick with what you got? Um, you stick with what you've got. If you're going to bring one of them back, I'd bring Battle back. I play him first. All right. And the Giants, uh, they've got decisions to make on the fitness of Finn Callahan, who has an Achilles injury, and Sam Taylor uh, with a hamstring. Obviously, Taylor, absolutely crucial. And then, as we've already discussed, Toby Bedford. Um, you think, oh, do they have to? No, they'll be able, they'll have a decision at least before they name their side. But fingers crossed they can somehow overturn that one match ban. Um, who comes in if he needs to be replaced? Xavier O'Halloran could be an option. He's been out with a thumb injury, but came back in a uh, VFL scratch match last weekend. That'd be a bit of a gamble, but he was a good player for them prior to injury. All right, uh, finding it tough to pick a winner in this one too, because uh, like you, you you've uh, I know you've been hot on the Giants all year, and they've really backed you up. They've been terrific after a, a slow start, but the Saints have really I feel like this is almost the ugly duckling final rocket. It's it's two sides who no one particularly rated and everyone kept waiting to, to go away. But they've just hung around and hung around and here they are playing each other in a final. Who wins? I think, again, the weather will help St Kilda and I think with their defensive profile, um, the only thing that with the weather is that the number one in the competition for uncontested marks that won't help if it's wet, so that can turn over. It, it could go either way, but I think she killed her in a close one by five points. All right. There's two single-figure margins for you of the three so far. I'm going for the Saints as well. Um, I've just got a fractionally more faith in their ability to handle the MCG 
than GWS. I don't know if I'm attaching too much importance to the venue, but it just strikes me that the, the venue in this case is significant. I'm going for St Kilda to win by 16 points. The second qualifying final is actually the last of the four finals to be played chronologically. Brisbane takes on Port Adelaide at the Gabba Saturday evening, 7.25pm. The Lions finished second on the ladder, 17-6. and six. Ended their home and away campaign with a 12-point win over the Saints. Uh, won their last four games of power. Interestingly, though, no, none really dominant. They won three of those four by 12 points or less. Port Adelaide finished third on the ladder, also 17-6. They finished up with a 31-point win over Richmond and won their last three games. Uh, head-to-head, Port Adelaide uh, beat Brisbane, smashed Brisbane, actually, in round one at Adelaide Oval, but the Lions had won the previous five games between these two. What about Brisbane at the Gabba? Well, don't tell me this isn't a major factor in this game. Uh, unbeatable, literally, at the Gabba this season. Brisbane have won all 11 appearances there this year and 21 out of 23 since the start of last year. Port at the Gabba, they have lost their last four meetings against Brisbane, uh, won a couple of games against other opponents here in their COVID years. But their last win over Brisbane at the Gabba was back in 2017. Now, this one, we've got three files at the MCG Rocket. So this one in Melbourne has tended to be a little bit off Broadway. But, uh, gee, it's an appetising contest, this one. Oh, it should be a great game. Um, now, that Brisbane, well, the doubts were lingered about them. The trust factor, I think they've answered that reasonably well. I mean, people are still going to say, can they... In the final series down the track, and they play at the MCG, but uh, playing at home is an enormous advantage for them um, with the crowd behind them as well. So, um, having said that, Port do travel okay. Um, but again, it's contrasting styles to a degree. Um, the offense of Brisbane's close to number one in the competition. Um, they've, they've been sensational. Port's is not too bad either, but Port uh, tend to struggle with, no, sorry, the, the clearances are okay, but. They're matched by Brisbane. Brisbane's clearances as well. I had score from score from clearances. Uh, the contested possessions is strange from um, uh, from Port Adelaide, sixteenth in the competition. You wouldn't have thought that with Rosie and Butters and these sort of players. And their points from the defensive half is seventeenth in the competition. So their transition from the back up, their 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 biggest weakness is going to be, and it's not a knock on anyone particular really. It's just their back half personnel, have they got the defence that's going to hold uh, the Brisbane forward line who uh, Hipwood and Danaher are playing more consistent footy as well to support Cameron, so they've got some goal scoring options uh, is Port's uh, back six good enough to be able to stop them? They're sort of uh, this is how I was summing this game up looking at it in headline terms they're both so good offensively so Brisbane second, Port third for points scored so it's going to come down to which defence can cope better with a strong offence. And neither are as good defensively as offensively, I think it's fair to say. So in your mind, if you look at it purely in those terms, which defence is more capable of coping with the opposition forward setter? Uh, I think Brisbane's, because uh, of Andrews, his ability to sag off and give support. Um, I don't know whether... Port have got that type of player to be able to do that. I think he's just uh, that extra 
level to be able to take them. Coleman's been a good player for them, but Payne's been a good support. But I think Andrew's just a cut above the wrist to be able to, and so tall. Um, and I think some homework from uh, you know from Hinkley will be able to how do you how do you again uh, minimise his effect? You know, we're talking about Darcy Moore, we're talking about Lever and May. How do you minimise his effect? Uh, do you take him to a certain spot to put a certain player on him? The other thing that Hinkley will look at is 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 Lockie Neal. Like he hasn't had the year that he's had in the past. But he's still had a very good season, but when he wins, I think it's nine clearances or more, or eight clearances or more. They bid. So they're so they're both have quite a good clearance change. They put Drew onto him. Um, he will and Drew go and able to sit on him and add stoppages and block his effectiveness. So, but they can do that and then let Rosie and Butters and these players go to work. Uh, you know, Paul could get some sort of advantage around the ball. That's a very good summary. Sorry, in the spirit of this uh, long-established podcast, I now have to ask you, Willem who? Long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, well well summed up. Look, I think um, the other factor I'm thinking about here is selection and the settled, I'm not saying Port Adelaide's unsettled, but Brisbane really settled at the moment. So Lincoln McCarthy will come back from injury, but that I can't see too much happening in selection terms to them other than that. Port Adelaide, meanwhile, so Todd Marshall comes back. He missed the last game with hip soreness, so he's been out of it for a bit. Uh, Scott Lysette played a Sandful match last weekend, so uh, would they roll a dice on him? The ruck thing is a bit of an issue there. Trent McKenzie, knee injury. He's missed a month racing the clock to be available to uh, help out Alira Alira and key defensive posts. And, of course, Charlie Dixon, who's been out now for a while, still at least a week away. So they've sort of had to make do a bit the power in recent weeks. As guys come back and are available, it must be tempting to throw them in, but you're rolling the dice there against upsetting any stability you've got. So yeah, what, yeah. What, what do you reckon happens there? Yeah, it'd be interesting. Now, that's a, it's a shame for them. And I think we mentioned six weeks ago, what do they do with Dixon? Because he was hobbling. And they kept playing for a week or two. Do they now in hindsight wish they'd put him out a, a bit earlier to give himself a chance to play? Because he's a, he's a not as... No, there's different players to Oriolas. I'm not comparing them, but his having six possessions has an enormous effect on a team. He's one of the least possession players. They have a big, big, big impact for his team, for his contest. Kick a vital goal at the right time. His pressure, um, his physical presence where So he'll he'll be missed by not not having that target against a, a against a quality side. Marshall will help. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but you couldn't play all of them. Um, uh, it, it'll be tempting to play quality players straight back in, but I think that's that's another advantage that Brisbane have got, as you see, to having that similar team. Um, the venue obviously is huge here, and but you alluded this to this before. Port are as good on the road as any team in the competition. In fact, they're seven wins and just three losses on the road this year. So we go on about them playing at Adelaide Oval. But they've got a bit of a win anytime, anywhere sort of ethos in a similar way GWS under Adam Kingsley had. And the other element uh, to this too, I'll just try to sort of put the cat amongst the pigeons here. Brisbane's home ground advantage at the Gabba is great. But if you go back since the start of Chris Fagan's tenure, 2019, some of those very few losses have been finals, haven't they? Yeah, they have. So that'll be the... That'll be the you know the mental aspect to be able to overcome that. Um, 
the thing you like about port, which you can't measure in stat, stats, and we talk about secure and GWS, and even when we spoke about Richmond uh, this year, is the character of that. They're just hanging there. Now they're, now, they're tough mentally, and I think that game against Sydney showed that earlier in the year where they were four or five goals down and, and got up with a, uh, a save on the siren from uh, from Wally Florence kick that they, 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 now they're tough mentally. And now there could be four or five goals down, but they won't uh, they won't go away. So that aspect is hard to is hard to quantify. Um, and I think that'll stand them in good stead. They've got some really tough individuals there, tough mentally and physically. So I don't, even though the stats might indicate that uh, you know Brisbane are the better side and playing at home, I still expect a close contest. Well, it's a huge opportunity for Brisbane to win and then be one more home final win away from a grand final spot. Uh, ditto Port, if they can somehow upset the odds here, uh, they then get a home preliminary final and one home win away from a grand final berth. So everything to play for, obviously. Uh, I'm going to let you put your, you know, what's on the line first. Who are you going with them? Uh, I, I think it's at home at having a settled side. I think, I think Brisbane um, by 13 points. 13 points, yeah. I'm the same. I reckon 11 from 11 uh, this season and what was it, 21 out of 23 tends to suggest they're going to be pretty hard to topple on their home ground. Uh, I'm going Brisbane 10 points. Sorry, what was your margin again? 13. 13 points for 13. 13, I knew you'd say that. (laughs) So I don't know what it is. (laughs) Thank you very much, Anthony Yatsen. Uh, 13 points Brisbane for you, 10 points Brisbane for me. We'll just recap those other tips. So uh, in the first qualifying final, I'm going Collingwood v Melbourne. I'm going Collingwood by two points. You're going Melbourne by seven points. The first elimination final, Carlton v Sydney. I'm going Carlton 22 points. You're going Carlton 15 points. The second elimination final, St Kilda v GWS. St Kilda by 16 for me. St Kilda by five for you. And the second qualifying final, Brisbane by 10 points for me. Brisbane by 13 points for you. Excellent stuff, Rocket. And uh, where are you you're going to watch them all on the couch? You're going to be there? What are you What are you planning? Uh, no, I'll watch them on the couch. Well, most of them probably just one or two. No, I won't. I'll, I'll be watching You're getting a bit lazy in your old age. <laughs> Come on, you're a life member. You should be rolling up. What excuse have you got not to be there? So, um, I look forward to it. It should be short. It should be some good footy play. Hopefully, all games are tight. Yes, well, that's what we hope as neutrals, isn't it? Great. That's I, I tell you. Over the last couple of decades of failure for my footy club, I've really got used to being a neutral and just loving <laughs> final series of the contest. Small consolation, but uh, it's a great time of year. All right, good stuff. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, if your team is involved, good luck. Hope they get a win and. Uh, well, never mind. It's just a game. If they don't, no, it's more than a game. What's that great saying? It's not life or death. It's more important than that. And that, that was Vince uh, Lombardi. Oh, Vince Lombardi. Wrong, wrong uh, legendary manager. I'm sure Bill Shankly said something like that uh, in his Liverpool days. And then I'm advising us. Anyway, I digress and I'm dribbling. So thanks, everyone. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week.